Our first reading is from the book of Joshua, chapter 2. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into a house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay, she came up to the roof, came up to them on the roof, and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan, to Shehan and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me that by the Lord, that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house, and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she said to them, then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills where the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go, go on your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us, made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to the oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she went away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. The word of the Lord. And our second reading is from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 56. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord 
to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. The word of the Lord. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Dean Miller, and I'm on staff here and really delighted to be here. We've had uh, a cold week, and then a rainy week, and then a rainy week. So I don't know about you, but I told someone my yard is like a sponge. You can just squish everywhere. The dog goes out, and it's like you got to give him a bath every time he goes out the door. So it's nice to be here. It seems to be a little lifting, and again, delighted to be with you together. Um, this week, I've had several opportunities and invitations. You guys have probably had some, too, of people inviting me to be sort of a part of their family or their team and extending me privilege and mission and purpose that have not played out, that have been an invitation that was a little disappointing. So, for example, this week I got several texts from a very kind credit union telling me that my credit card might be overdrafted over and over and over again, which is super nice, right? Like they're trying to help me, A, no, you're, we're protecting you, we're making sure. It would have been even nicer if I had actually belonged to this credit union or the branch of the military that they are saying I'm a part of or was ever a part of as someone who's never been in the military. I also got told that it would be really important for me to vote in an upcoming primary because someone needed me to, to push their legislative agenda. I was needed. I needed to be on the team. So I need to make sure to vote. Agree? I think voting is really important. I think we should all vote. But I don't live in South Carolina, and my name's not Nick. <laughs> and then late this week, I got extended an offer the, the good old team at Honda said, I deserve a new Honda Odyssey minivan. And I thought, yeah, I think I do deserve a new Honda Odyssey minivan. We're past the minivan stage. I thought, okay, you want to be, be, me to be on the Honda family, the Honda team? Super. Be excited. Where do I sign up? But again, need to clarify, my name is not Stephen. And I don't know how you got my email or why you think my name is Stephen to extend me this lovely gift. And again, invite me into the Honda family. You guys probably get those too, where people are, are graciously still tr trying to extend you something that's really not going to play out, right? Like they want you to be a part of their team and, and receive the sense of mission and, and purpose and community. For really five months, we've been talking about what it means to be God's community, becoming the people of God. That's what we did most of the fall. And then for the last four weeks, we've been taking that big 30,000 foot view and, and focusing the lens on what's it look for us to be the particular people of God here, the Christ Church Vienna is here in Vienna, Virginia. And we've been looking and preaching through our core values, which we should be, you should be able to do if I ask you to close your eyes. But let's, you can use the cheat sheet over my shoulder if you want. Our core values are we're a gospel-driven, externally focused, extended family, Anglican mission in for Christ Church Vienna, for Vienna, Virginia, right? In Vienna. And that, those, that phrase, which is theologically pregnant, and admittedly a little clunky to say, is super important because it guides who we are, right? And it's super important for us to revisit it and see like, oh, we are part of this team and family. What does it mean? Week one, we talked about 
the, the real cornerstone of our entire being, the gospel, the good news, that you and I have been saved by God, redeemed because God sent his son Jesus to die on our behalf because he loves us. This is, this is the, the whole point of being together. And then what God does is we give our lives to the gospel is what we've looked at the last two weeks. What God does is he begins to form us like himself. We begin to take on his heart and his mission and his sense of the world. And we become externally focused, right? And we, we said we focus in particular on two particular types of people as we focus externally. One is the least, people who, are, who historically we think of as the poor, the sick, the orphan, the widowed, people on the margins. And then last week, Johnny talked about how we focused on the lost, people who do not yet know Jesus. And we're so moved by this good news of the gospel, we're gonna pursue people, particularly in friendship. Johnny talked about friendship being a means of the gospel going forward last week. So we've looked at the gospel, the least, the lost. And this morning, I'm gonna take a longer look at what it means to be an extended family. What is this phrase and why does this matter? So if you have a Bible and wanna turn to the very long passage in Joshua 2 that Tim Pearson graciously read, we're gonna be in Joshua 2 for a bit. Joshua 2, where we are, Israel has come out of Exodus and Egypt. They have wandered for 40 years and now we're in Joshua 1 and Joshua 2. Moses has gone to be with God in heaven and Joshua has been handed the mantle of leadership to lead the Israelites after centuries of promise into the promised land. They're literally on one side of the Jordan River. They're gonna cross over and begin to take Canaan. This promise actually made to Abraham. They're finally gonna execute on that promise. And Joshua's realizing, I need to do a little reconnoitering before I do that. So he sends out two spies in Joshua 2 to go and look over the land, and particularly Jericho, which is the big city that they're first gonna need to confront about seven miles from the Jordan River. Pretty interesting. Joshua had been a spy 40 years before now he knows to send spies out. He sends these two unnamed guys out. And they look around the land. Jericho would have been of a city of, few, of a few thousand people. So the, the city, the empire of the king of Jericho would have been the city and then sort of surrounding villages and farms that might gather in the city when trouble was coming. These men come, look around. They walk around Jericho. They're sort of, I bet they don't look quite like the natives. And so people begin to say, what's going on? And so they, we read, go to the house of a harlot, of a prostitute named Rahab, to hide. We believe that Rahab was probably a prostitute sort of in her, on her own. This was probably a not well-traveled street. She's not a ceremonial prostitute. This is some other part away from sort of the beaten path of the city, and the two men end up there. It's sort of a sketchy part of town, sort of like Arlington, Virginia, right? It's sketchy, Okay. <laughs> But she goes, just making sure you're awake. So she goes there, they go there, and she welcomes them in and hides them. She hides these two men. Hides them on the roof under a bunch of grain. This is a big risk, right? This is, this is narratively pregnant. You could create a really lovely video scene of what it might have been like. You would have done cutaways back and forth. The king says, send people. The guys start walking down the streets. She's frantically trying to hide them. Her family doesn't want to do it. They probably want to get the guys out of here. Like There's all kinds of things happening. This one writer, Matthew Henry, says that God's Israel had but one friend in Jericho that day, and it was Rahab the prostitute. Love that phrase. But one friend in the entire city. And in that hiding, she makes this powerful statement and commitment that we heard read. First she says and declares what God has done. 
we heard how you crossed over the Red Sea. This is 40 years before. And how you conquered these kings and how you are ready. And so she and her city is sort of anxious. They realize that Israel is gathered up and is about to move into Canaan. And then she says, we know that your Lord, I know that your Lord is the king of heaven and earth. She's, she's giving a testimony. She's first declaring the gospel. She's gonna say, save me, which is what we do when we hear the gospel. Make me a part of your team, your family, because I've heard what God has done and I see who God is. And if you were to, to sort of characterize what we sing about in our worship songs into two categories, those would be the categories. What has God done and who God is? Go back and use that grid to read through all 150 Psalms. That's what they're talking about, who God is and what he does. Here's the Canaanite prostitute essentially writing a psalm. Here's who God is, king of heaven and earth, and I've seen what he's done. And I wanna throw my lot in with you. I will take care of you, but you have to save my family when you come and take Jericho. If you kept reading down through the next few chapters, you'd see in chapter six, the Israelites take Jericho after they march around the city how many times? Seven, right? Seven times, and it says that Joshua sends the spies to her family to find her family and bring her out. And Joshua 6 says this, that she and her whole family reside in Israel to this day. To the day that this was written, first time and then handed down to us, Rahab's now a regular part of Israel. She's been grafted into the family. She's on the team. And if you did a word study on Rahab, you would see that she's not only mentioned here, but she's gonna be mentioned at the end of Ruth because she's gonna be the great-great-grandmother of David. She's also gonna be in Matthew 1 in the lineage of Jesus. And she's gonna be in James and Hebrews as both writers cite her as an example of what exemplary holiness looks like, someone who has faith and acts. An exemplary prostitute. So if you're here this morning as a Christian, if you call Jesus your savior, if you're on Jesus's team, a Canaanite prostitute is part of your extended family. You have your birth family, your blood family, and your rebirth family, which many of us are part of together. If we were to do a DNA in me of our rebirth family, guess what? You and I have a Canaanite harlot relative. Because that's God's heart, right? Taking the least and the lost, the unlikely, like you and me, and making them into full voting members. We get to vote in God's primary. Doesn't matter whether you live in South Carolina or not. And that's what is happening in not only Joshua 2, but in our passage from Isaiah. Isaiah is prophesying in this last section of Isaiah, the third part, about what's gonna happen, the transformation to the world and the universe when the Messiah comes. And he mentions in this passage two groups that typically could be a part of Israel but not necessarily allowed into the inner courts of the temple, foreigners and eunuchs. And he says, guess what? You're gonna be full grafted in followers, worshiping, bearing fruit, just like the rest of us when the Messiah comes. You, like Rahab, will pray and worship here. Foreigners, eunuchs, prostitutes. You too are gonna be a full-fledged member of this new people of God. So this, this eye of God, this gospel eye that looks at the least and the lost builds a super extended family. And it's not meant to be just a nice social club or your orange cycle class or your PTA or some 5 a.m. CrossFit at the mill or a book club. 
It's meant to be broader and deeper than you, knew, you and I imagine. And the phrase we get over and over again in Scripture, it's meant to be a family. In the New Testament alone, we hear Paul write to the Galatians, the family of believers. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, you do love God's family throughout Greece and Macedonia. The writer of Hebrews says, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy, so that's Jesus and you, are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call you and I brothers and sisters. The clear implication through the gospel is that God is forming a new family for his name. The narrative arc is we are enemies to we are sons and daughters and we are a family. This gospel that's externally focused builds a big honking, that's the Hebrew, big honking family. So if you and I are to think about what's it mean to be God's particular people of God in Vienna, it behooves us to ask, what does it look like to be God's family? What do we learn from these passages and others for us? How can we live as a church in light of what we learn here as part of this family, Christ Church Vienna? And I wanna pull out five ways from our passages this morning that can help us. What can help us here? First, you and I can remember that we are building an extended family and building that family is being like our father. God is the source of our family. Two weeks ago, again, we started with God is externally focused and we've looked and it's good because these values often bleed. Often if you did this sermon series or you made a mission statement, that would be the second phrase. We'd say we're a gospel-centered, extended, extended family, externally focused. But we start with externally focused, which is just a good purpose because often the looking out in a church can, can bleed out and we forget. So we're forcing that issue. Theologically, it probably is gospel-centered family externally, but let's try to do them the other way. Let's push against that a little bit. But we're not just externally focused, we are internally committed. And the reason we're that way is that's because who God is. This is a general slide of what the Trinity is doing. And what is happening, all we're really describing in this series is the life of God that he invites you and I into. And in God's gospel, he is always focused first on, or not first, but at the same time on being internally committed to one another, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and externally focused on the least and the lost. Now, it's hard because you and I are finite people to do the work of God, to do the things that we're asking you to do to be a part of this church, be externally focused and internally committed is hard work because it's what God does. But this is, in fact, the continued work of God 24 hours a day, seven days a week around the world down through history. And it's what he is inviting you and I into. We are sent out as his sons and daughters, to welcome the least and the lost and to bring them into the center of his love just like we have through the gospel. And it's this constant organic process that's happening. For us to be formed like God and to use other titles for us to be disciples of God or to be a part of spiritual formation, it's to become formed this way and pulled into this relationship. So learning how to be family as God's people is super important because it's the center of health and the center of what God is doing. It is a spiritual discipline. Many of you heard me a couple weeks ago use an illustration about a video on YouTube, a Nike video with Blake Griffin and Darryl, Dr. Daryl Drain. How many of you watched that video after I mentioned it? Oh, that's so great. Like I said, it was the best part of that sermon. 
right? It was so funny. I've been laughing about it for weeks now. If remember, if you haven't seen it again, this lovely young man in the left corner who is not athletically gifted volunteers to play in this short-sighted basketball game with the NBA All-Star, Blake Griffin. He shoots crazy shots that don't miss. Why? Because Blake grabs him and stuffs him. And I said then, you and I are the least like Daryl Drain and we are grafted into God's game and we get to score and play and not miss because Jesus is always there pulling us into what he's doing. But there's a gap in this illustration. The gap is, for those of you who know basketball, all the highlights are only of them playing half-court basketball, two-on-two and three-on-three. But what God is really doing, what Jesus is really doing, if this was a complete, perfect theological illustration, it would be five-on-five full-court basketball. Because what God is doing in the Trinity is pulling people into a team. So it's not just Daryl and Blake. It's Daryl and Blake and John and Carolyn and Susan and Julie and on and on and on. What God is doing is pulling us into being like himself. So a healthy Christ Church Vienna will look like our source, will again be externally focused and be developing and growing as an extended family. You see it in the Joshua passage, God pursuing Rahab, who has a heart already turned to him to be his friend. Second thing, second thing we can learn from Rahab and Isaiah and the rest of the Bible really is we can embrace the size of this extended family. God's family, this lease and loss, is way bigger than you and I thought. We've touched on this before the last several months, but it's worth noting again. You and I are part of a global and centuries-old gathering to God's heart. And to be a family, to be a part of this family, you gotta be with the family. You can't be a part of an extended family and be on your own. It's not how it works. This is not an individual-only excursion. And so there's theological significance in a lot of what we do as we seek to be a family. I don't know if you realize that part of what we do in the service when we pass the peace or when we do a welcome at the beginning is stepping into what it means to be a family. When we welcome you and hopefully each other, we're saying, we're in this together, we're a family. I don't necessarily know you, but picture what a huge family reunion. We're saying, I'm glad you're here. We have the same purpose and, and source for being here. We're all in this together. And when we pass the peace, we're saying, hey, guess what? Theologically, we are enemies of God and each other. That's why we're passing the peace. Not just because we need a couple minutes to bring the kids back from Sunday school and we thought we'd put that in. No, there's a theological resonance. We are living as a family because it's a big family. We want to remind each other, hey, guess what? Isn't it great that you and I have peace with God and peace with one another? Now, those parts of the service typically energize the extroverts among us and make the introverts wonder why they're here. So what we need to do for being an extended family, if you're more energized by that, is overcompensate for your brothers and sisters. So when we do a welcome or the peace, look for people who might be new. Say, I don't know you yet, or I've met, forgotten your name, that's okay. Can you tell me who you are? Good morning. Extend across the pews, seats, aisles, whatever. Because it, we're not just doing it again to fill time. We're doing it because we believe what God, the Trinity, is doing is forming a family. There are typically over 200 men, women, and children here who don't all know each other. And we're taking a few moments to put a stake in the ground and go, this is who we are. So the size of the family. God sets a very large table. I saw this quote recently in a friend's kitchen and took this picture just for this sermon. A good cook knows that it's not what is on the table that matters, but what is in the chairs. 
A good cook knows that what is on the, not what is on the table that matters, but it is what is in the chairs. Now, when we come to communion, we believe both things are true. This is Christ's body and blood. For sure, what is on the table matters. But it's not there as an art piece. It's there to feed people. It's there to feed an extended family with the good news of Jesus and his invitation to the feast. Jesus is excited about who's in the seats. And we should be too. Third, how can we be God's extended family here? We can remember that we might be shocked by our family. It's not just a broader family of people just like me. It's people maybe that you and I wouldn't invite to your own particular family feast, like eunuchs and prostitutes. And you could fill in your own blank. This is my eunuch who I might not want at the feast. This is my Rahab who I wouldn't really want here. The message of the entire Bible should teach us that there will be people here at Christ Church Vienna and it's God's family that we will we'll find shocking. It might be worth reflecting this week before God, Lord, who would my eunuchs be? Who would I think, well, that's just a little bit too far for you to bring them in? Again, the only person in Canaan was the prostitute. People try to, to work in, down through centuries on what that word really meant. Maybe she wasn't. Maybe she was like a coffee shop owner. or a, the, No, it's very clear the word is prostitute. Who would yours be? Maybe people who vote a search, certain way, people whose skin color is a certain color, people who struggle with a particular sin you don't struggle with and so find it weak that they struggle with it people who covet, who envy, who are greedy, who are poor, who are rich, who are broken sexually, which we all are. You see it in the, in the epistles in the young churches. They're trying to figure out who are we now because it's a shocking group of people. Paul, Peter, they're gathering together like this is not the group we expected. So what do they do? They go to the old ways. They start to say, well, that's some of what Paul's dealing with in Galatians, talking about family. Well, people should be circumcised again. They better keep the Sabbath because that's what they knew for centuries. This identified the family. This made us a family. We circumcise boys at eight days and we keep the Sabbath very vigorously. And then Paul comes in and goes, nope, guess what? Jesus, as the way, the truth, and the life, and holy living, which they attached to food and what they did with their bodies sexually, not necessarily what they felt or how they oriented, but how they acted. Paul says, that's it. No circumcision, no Sabbath. No baptizing just infants or only adults. No just choruses or classical music. No meeting only in a school or meeting only in a cathedral. Scandalous people. People who disagree with us. Again, people of a different ethnicity. Rahab was different ethnically than Israel. Did you know there are more Anglican people of color around the world than there are white Anglican people around the world? That's just our denomination. There are more Anglican people in the country of Nigeria than there are in America. People with different vocations, people who went to the wrong schools, people with different struggles. But remember, the heart and context of God and the gospel is this was you too. You are a stranger in Egypt, and I brought you in. To be a part of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the center of love in the entire universe, because I love you. Another way to say it might be that 
to think about it this way. In God's family, you and I can be somebody else's Rahab foreigner or eunuch. Have you ever thought about that? Probably easier to think about who's your Rahab. Probably harder to think, guess what? In God's family, you could be somebody else's Rahab. They might have been hurt by somebody like you. They might have been frustrated by somebody like you. Somebody like you might have said something unkind. So they look and they see you and they think, oh, I'm not sure I can be part of this family because could I know God there? This family, we need to embrace the size. We need to remember that we might be shocked. Fourth, we can then learn and be wise about a local expression of God's family with the expectations we set as family. Let's do a simple, quick survey. How many of you have parents or brothers or sisters or cousins or spouses or children? Raise your hand real high. How many of you, without naming names or pointing fingers right now, would say that all those people could be and are sinners? That's what I was afraid of. Family is a weighted term. Some of you are like, please stop using the word family. My family was hard and terrible. I didn't want to be part of that family. Not sure I want to be part of this family. But again, if, if, the, if the Trinity is the source of health, the, the center of health as an entity, organism, relationship system, and family in the universe, and is inviting us through God's word to be a family, then there has to be something there that's holy and sacred and needs to be redeemed. But many of us have been hurt by family, maybe in really significant ways. And again, this term is painful. And in this family, what God is doing is forming sinners into his redeemed new people. When I do a wedding, I often remind the husband and wife that guess what? You look great on this wedding day, but you're marrying each of you a sinner. And you're gonna have to learn how to lean into God as you do that. And we come together and ask one another to be committed to a local family, this one or another one, and you're gonna do it by being committed with other sinners. So that means we're gonna get it wrong sometimes. There's an excellent article this week on the Gospel Coalition website by a guy named Trevor Wax called The Flip Side to the Church is Family. It's like Trevor wrote an article just for me this week. And in it, he gives some good guidelines about being a part of this family God and the gospel brought together. And the danger in using a, a seemingly encouraging phrase like, hey, when you're here, you're family. Ever heard that? Either at the Olive Garden or here? When you're here, you're family. And he writes this. Of course we're right to insist on the Christian being part of a local congregation. We're right to fight Lone Ranger Christianity. We're right to see the church in familial terms because the New Testament is our source for such a vision. But there's a flip side to the high regard we have for the, family, the church's family. An idealistic portrait of family can saddle us with overly ambitious, enormous expectations for church life. Then he has this sentence. There are enough dysfunctional families out there in the world to make you wonder why anybody would advertise their institution as a family. Dean, you need a better, you need better marketing. You and Johnny should sit down and figure out better marketing. Except again, this is God's term. But what that means, if you play that out, one is we need to be wise about our expectations. When we come into this family, you're probably not gonna have all your expectations met. But when you come into this family, we're certainly gonna aspire together to be the holiest representation of the Trinity we can with love and truth together. This should be the most secure, safe place you know as a family, either through your own family that's part of it, but then also through the broader family together. 
But the church isn't gonna solve loneliness. How many of you have ever been, have been to church for let's say 20 years in some way, shape, or form? How many of you have also felt lonely as you've been either in the church on a Sunday or just a part of that family? Raise your hand really high. Yep. Me too. God solves loneliness. God uses his church to solve loneliness and sadness and hurt. People here will be a part of your healing. But there'll still be times when we hurt one another. There'll still be times where we feel sad. God does his work, this again is Trevor Wax, through his people, but the way he accomplishes this work is putting you through the difficult, sanctifying process of loving people who don't seem to love you back and remaining fiercely committed to people who may be a source of heartbreak in your life. It's the truth. That is a pastoral truth. I'd be lying to you if I didn't say that was true. What I can tell you for sure is being a part of a family like this will give you amazing, glorious stories and people who will love and be committed to you. And then occasionally we will hurt you and disappoint you, particularly if we're on staff. But I also tell you that being a part of something like this is is central to your spiritual health because it is who God is and what he does. And if you wanna be a follower of Jesus, this is what he invites you to be a part of. Again, we use these terms, discipleship and spiritual formation. They're super important terms. But often we like to see it as this place where all that happens are warm scones and classical music and cut grass and quiet streams and hot coffee. But instead, what, what, the, what the story of the church would be through history is that often God gives you those seasons or places or the need for those, which is important, and fills you up and feeds you because he's gonna send you out to love people in his church who drive you crazy. So make this your church home. Be a part of this extended family and be ready to be driven a little bit crazy. But also to be a part of God's glorious good work and stories like Rahab and eunuchs and other foreigners. You are super smart readers of the Bible. Did everybody notice that that the people named in Joshua 2 are not the spies? Tell me the name of the spies who stayed in her house. That is not what's recorded being a part of God's extended family means, and doing crazy stuff like Rahab did, it was crazy, means being invited in such a way that your name is known. God put her name in the story. It's amazing. Fifth and last, it's worth embracing these habits of our family. This is not our core values, but remember, what are some habits we can embrace? I just wanna give four quick things. First is, again, Jesus is what makes us the way, the truth, and the life. We, we invite people to Jesus. That's what makes us a family. If people are still seeking out Jesus, we invite you and want you to be a part of it here. We'll walk with you as you do it. But, but committing to him is committing to the family. Second, then we know God alone is our hope and help, but he uses his family. And third, this last thing I think is just important for us to see. When in this family, in a cursed family, you forgive and you defend one another. You forgive and defend one another. The, the last uh, line, what I always go back to when I think of that is the story of Chuck Colson, who many of you know, back in Watergate, was Dixon's hitman. He'd done a lot of terrible things and became a Christian and got invited into a Bible study. One of the guys was a guy named Harold Hughes, who was the senator from Iowa. Colson was a Republican. Hughes was a Democrat. They'd been diametrically opposed to one another. 
And when he came into the small group, Colson wasn't sure how Hughes would respond to him because he knew morally, ethically, legally, he had done things against the Democratic Party. And Harold Hughes told him, you're my brother and I will defend you no matter what. And that's what it looks like to be God's family. Even if I disagree with you, even if you hurt me, I'll forgive you and defend you. That's what it means. Why? Because that's what God does. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for your patience with us as you invite us into your work. And again, the healthiest work we can do is to live like you in the world, which is what this church seeks to be. For anybody who's here who has a particularly difficult family of origin, and these terms are super hard, would we pray that being a part of this community, be it being a part of a small group as they put their toe in the water or being a part of other things, would be healing for them. That they would, even though we are sinners, taste the joy and love of you and be seen and known and named the way Rahab is and invited into a good story. That Again, this would be a place of healing. We pray, pray that the way we treat one another would be characterized by the way you and the Trinity treat each other with love and being for one another. The people here would sense, again, as we've said lots of times through this last few months of these sermons, that we are here to bless each other, to affirm each other, to cheer for each other, and again, to defend each other. Lord, you invite us into work that we really for sure can't do on our own. This is aspirational. But we thank you for your Holy Spirit and the promise that as we trust you, it, it happens. You bring this fruit about, so we pray you would. And that this community would be such a family that the least and the lost would come and make their home here. In your name, amen. Thank you.